Hey, how's it going? Uh, Champagne Sharks. This is Trevor. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks if you want to become a subscriber. Get a bunch of bonus episodes, get uh, access to a Discord voice and chat server, and a bunch of other goodies. But it's all explained at patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. So check that out if you want. And we have with us today guest Rob Delaney. If you could just introduce yourself and tell people who you are and where to find you. Sure, yeah. Uh, I'm Rob Delaney, and I'm a comedian. I'm American, but I live in London and have for about six years. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, other than that, I got a show on Amazon called Catastrophe. I also have a stand-up special up there. And then I act in other people's stuff as well. Uh, So that, I think, would sum me up uh, in a thumbnail sketch. Probably the biggest thing that people have seen recently is probably uh, the Deadpool 2 thing, right? That did like a lot of... Oh, God, yeah. I mean, that that was bananas being being a part of something that huge. And um, yeah, yeah, a lot of people saw that for sure. I've been following you for a while on Twitter, and it was it was funny. Uh, you were, I think, one of the first three people I've ever seen who actually knew how to tweet. Like, I think <laughs> you pretty much, I think you kind of created how to tweet in a way because um, everyone gets canceled from for tweets from 2011 to 2013, and I'm convinced it's because there was no blueprint on how to tweet, so everyone yeah. just thought they were supposed to be either talk about what they were eating or be like a wannabe seller comedian, you know, with just <laughs> be as non PC as. Um, possible and yeah i mean i i think i just thought of it as like it's it's so pervasive and part of our lives now and uh i just sort of thought like oh people are mostly reading this on their phone so they're looking for some distraction so i thought of tweets as like entertainment and a lot of other people did too um and so it was just about if you you're looking at Twitter frequently when you really should be doing something else. So, you know, you just want to give people a little buzz with whatever you say. So for me, that typically was saying something stupid and and asinine and hopefully usually funny was was usually my goal. Uh, so yeah, I think some people, cause I guess if you, you, you started, if you joined Twitter, you might follow like CNN and you know, the Houston Astros or whatever your interests are. And then if you made the mistake of following me, I wanted something to show up in your feed where you'd be like, what the, why, huh? You know? So I just, you had a very good absurdist voice. It was very there were three people that I remember being the first three because I remember like I joined it and no one really knew what to do with it. Yeah, totally. Except just kind of talk about what they were eating or <laughs> or, or give motivational quotes. That was a big yeah. thing. Everyone was kind of feeling their way out. But it was you, there was Kelly Oxford, and then yeah. there was this woman, Jenny Johnson, high five. I remember those yeah. were the first three that I saw that, w- that I was like, oh, there's an actual art form. <laughs> to this like it's actually there's a way to actually do this pithy and absurdist and it's actually like a craft i mean now it's horrible because i feel like yeah everyone's trying to compete to do the same voice and well also it's like i think um you know there was a a, a little honeymoon period uh of a few years where you could parlay uh, being funny or creative or interesting in some way or another into work, you know? And and now I think it's like so saturated. I don't think people are are going 
to Twitter to look for like the new thing. I think by now everybody has probably somewhat begrudgingly put it on their phone. And I mean, now, you know, the uh, person on Twitter who's paid the most attention to is the president of the United States of America. And so I think that means that Twitter sucks now, you know, like if and I hate to admit it, but he's one of the few people that still knows how to tweet as well. Like, he's yeah, he does. He does know how to elicit uh, to do those like short one two punch style tweets where you read them and sort of parse them and think about the syntax and think wonder about like circumstances under which the tweet was created so you so you're correct absolutely about that yeah whether it's accidental or or not i think another yeah. problem too is that twitter i think there's too many people on there who want to be discovered and mm-hmm. and not enough people uh doing the discovering so it's kind of just like yeah a very cannibalistic uh, feeding frenzy you know where like piranhas are kind of just eating each other for content yeah so. i agree completely yeah, so I think you as an early adopter were really uh, fortunate in that. But you know something that I think makes you very different too, and I say this from watching Catastrophe and seeing your stand-up and stuff, is that I think a lot of people are so into the idea of it being a model to be discovered or to be seen or mm-hmm. to kind of be an influencer. Like, like I call it now the influencer industrial complex, where it actually kind of <laughs> works a lot of people actually do get discovered as being like influencers. Like people mm-hmm. want you to bring your audience to something mm. that a lot of people kind of don't even really have a craft outside mm-hmm. of being the influencer. Like right. uh, Catastrophe is actually a well-written uh, show. Whether or not uh, being known on Twitter had a big part you being uh able to make the show whatever like when it came time to sit put together a show i mean it was a very well done nuanced show whereas i think a lot of people they don't really know how to actually like i don't want to name names or stuff but i've seen people who are very good at twitter and they get tapped for like sketch comedy shows or something yeah and it just feels like a twitter conversation like it's it okay. feels like it was plucked off of twitter like the, like the discussion topics yeah and it's made to be rediscussed back on twitter yeah 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 that's interesting it's true um so I think for me, I mean, like I'm 43, so I'm older than, I don't know, like sort of success and entertainment came a little bit later for me than it might for some. And um, I pretty explicitly uh, was trying to have success as a comedian before Twitter ever came on the scene. So... And then when I couldn't you'd get jobs, you know, like as a late night writer and stuff, because I thought that would sort of make sense for a stand up. Uh, and so before I knew what Twitter was or before Twitter existed, I was submitting joke packets to late night shows to try to get hired. And so I I a little bit was sort of ideally positioned for a, a, a site that, um, you know, highlighted jokes so much and was able to disseminate jokes far and wide. Um, yeah, I'm glad I kind of remembered this because I haven't thought about it in a while. But yeah, I mean, I had stacks of of jokes and was constantly um, 
you know, uh, trying to get hired and oh, and constantly re- watching the news and reading the news and working on the one-two joke, the two-liner, you know? Um, wait, wait, so, wait. So, so you were already honing the craft of a two-line joke before yeah. this tailor-made uh, format for a two-line joke came yeah. your way. So I'm, I oh, was extremely uh, right place, right time kind of a situation. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it wasn't like, um, I think some people in the early days of Twitter might've been like, oh my God, I'm funny. They would have said, or people would have been like, Hey, you know what? You're funny. And they'd be like, oh gosh, I guess I am. Like for me, when people said like, Hey, you're funny. I was like, thank you. Thank you. That's what I was wanting to hear. That's what I've been trying to try to get out there. I've been working very hard to try and be funny, you know? So Uh, I had this idea and maybe you can still use it. Like if there's a movie of your life, like I thought you were just a two line savant, like maybe you just stumble (laughs) on Twitter and then you just type something and you know, Uh, it's like, Oh my God, I can do two line. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's <laughs> it's the the show, right? When, when I'm when I was when I was watching the show, it the second season it takes a hard turn that I was not really seeing coming from the first season, mm-hmm. but it's super casual about it. Like like the first season, there's kind of this uh, precarity, yeah, and then second season opens and it's just plumb into like uh, suburban settled um, oh, existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's different because I was watching it. I watched the first two seasons, uh, first three seasons on a on a binge, and then mm-hmm. you know before I went to the to the fourth one. And I was wondering if that was something that was done on purpose. If you guys were just eager to get to that point, it, it worked. It worked very well. But I was wondering. Uh, so the crazy thing is that we um, were thinking that we wanted them to be in the, you know, married with kids by the end of the first episode of the first season. And so our pilot episode was so dense and the network was like, this is cool, but what if we got to watch them get to know each other? And me and Sharon Horgan, we were both like, I mean, I guess, really? we didn't. It didn't occur to us that people would really want to see that. So we messed around with it a little bit. And then we're like, hey, that's pretty fun. So the whole first season was literally like, oh, what? Uh, it just kind of... <laughs> We just—it never occurred to us that people would want to watch these two characters meet and get to know each other. And so, thank God, you know, people complain about network notes, but that was a great one. I was just—I was just gonna say that, that. That's why I said, "Oh my God!" Like we always hear stories about how network notes mess something up. You never yeah. hear like, you know, thank God the network jumped in. Right? Yeah. That's no, great. We, we we benefited from the head of comedy at Channel Four in the UK, a guy named Phil Clark. He read it and he was like, "This is funny. Why don't you uh, stretch it out a little bit?" Uh, you're kind of getting to uh, the finish line a little fast. What do you say? You uh, and so <laughs> we were like, oh, all right. Um, something about something funny about you saying that you stretch it out. When I saw the first episode, mm-hmm. I thought it was already kind of fast. Uh, I don't know that was a stretched <laughs> no. out version. I, I, I was because I was, but I meant that in a complimentary way. Like what I mean is, when you watch TV now, now yeah. when things are made for binging, and mm-hmm. I don't understand the, the logistics of Amazon versus Channel Four, but I'm guessing originally this aired weekly and then it came yeah. to America in binge. See, I think because it 
um, aired weekly, you guys had to give a certain amount of oomph per episode. Whereas when a show now Without on Netflix, question. it's a yeah. ma- it's a major secret weapon that our show had. Uh, that it had to have the like Seinfeldian discipline of an older show on terrestrial like watch TV with your antenna. Yeah. So we benefited from that, and some streaming shows suffer because they don't have to adhere to the sort of old-fashioned rigor of how TV used to be made, and in some cases still is, but having your show go out once a week is great because if you have a bad episode, people bail, and that's cool, you know, because it forces you to make yeah. Whereas with streaming ones, you just, I would, anybody who was, you know, has the good fortune to make a streaming show, I would say, hey, maybe also pretend it's not a streaming show, you know? Um, and, 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 and that's a big problem. They count on the positive momentum, the autoplay to just, you know, propel the viewer through. And sometimes right. people, even on the autoplay, there's times I'm like, this is just too slow. I'm not even mm-hmm. going to bother. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there are amazing streaming shows that's i would say not even up for debate but one of the danger one of the pitfalls that you have to watch out for is uh they you might it won't it's not going to necessarily impose discipline on you so you have to do that yourself exactly and and that's one thing i noticed when i watched the show was i didn't realize that it first aired weekly but Mm -hmm. uh i've gotten so used to watching streaming shows that i was kind of surprised that you guys had the setup all done by the first episode like like a lot mm-hmm. of shows that they were made for streaming you guys would have just like met at the end of the first episode but you guys pretty much yeah, said yeah. by the end of the first episode this is where we are this is what premise is going forward you fully understand it like you know halfway through the first episode you're flying back to yeah. england and and when i say it gave me whiplash it wasn't because you guys are doing anything wrong but because i got so used to the slow leisurely pace of yeah streaming something recently happened to me like that where i went back to rewatch Breaking Bad, which is another show that aired yeah. every week. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't seen the first season in a while. And that's another one where even though it was a normal first episode for mm-hmm. terrestrial TV, I remember feeling like, oh my God, I forgot that halfway through this episode, they're already dealing uh, meth and already have a partnership yeah. and everything is uh, yeah set up. The pilot is such a thorny thing. It's such an art form. And I'm, I'm a huge student of pilots and I just love to see how people do them. And uh, it's such a fun puzzle to grapple with. And people don't really grapple with it anymore because now they treat the whole first season like a pilot. Like like I watched this show called Witcher that Mm -hmm. was recommended to me on Netflix. And Mm -hmm. it was not a bad show, but the whole first season, it took me halfway through the season to realize the whole season was a pilot. Like two of the Mm. three main characters didn't Mm -hmm. even meet yet at the end of the first season. Yeah. Yeah. I had to look online to figure out what the storytelling (laughs) engine of the show is. And then I found out, okay, these three are the three main characters and it's about their adventure. But they did a whole first season where two of the three characters still hasn't, still haven't uh, met. Hmm. Like I spent the whole season trying to figure out what is the show going to be on a regular basis. This is me saying I appreciate that kind of discipline that you had. I didn't realize that it was forced on you through Channel 4. I just thought you guys just made the show like that, even though it was made for streaming. I didn't realize it was made for Channel 4. Yeah, I mean, God, may I never forget the lessons that that Catastrophe taught us uh, broadcasting on Channel 4 once a week, big time. Whoa, Whoa unto me if I forget those lessons. 
Uh, this is the American in me. I want, you know, Americans, like, whether it's relationships or TV shows, they never want to let anything just uh, end in a good place, you know? Yeah. Uh, is it any temptation to go back to the like, fifth season or... Well, the thing is, is um, sure in that there's a temptation to eat that meal that you really enjoyed at a restaurant last week or uh, even to just write with Sharon again um, with the same characters, you know, coming up with stuff for the characters of Chris and Fran and Fergal. I mean, that would be that would be a lot of fun. The thing is, though, is that um, we didn't want to be greedy and we didn't want to repeat ourselves. So if I were to do Catastrophe or even another domestic show about a family with young kids and a, and a marriage, you know, doing the best that it can, I'd have to wait a while because in the four seasons of Catastrophe, I definitely uh, put everything I know about all that stuff out there. I have nothing else to say about marriage and about raising kids like that was it so if i did any more it might be bullshit and that would be you know a real sin uh so better leave them wanting more you know rather than and i'm i'm pretty proud of of all four seasons i would be wouldn't want to make ones that i didn't like or couldn't really stand behind you know so so uh the seasons yeah. progress the seasons progress very well too and it ended that final scene with the arcade fire song were, were <laughs> was pretty good i'm trying not to go into details because i want to support it for oh anyone thanks who's, man who's seen it yeah, but yeah. Who, who hasn't seen it yet I, I recommend people see it but it ended in such a nice uh point in place that i wouldn't want to uh like like i'm with you on that that i agree you shouldn't do it but i know i would uh <laughs> definitely definitely see it like i'm home under quarantine right and being yeah. home under quarantine I had like a bunch of stuff I wanted to catch up on and yeah. I remembered I wanted to go back and uh, revisit the show so that's that's what made me think oh I'm under quarantine everyone has time maybe <laughs> I can get Rob on because I always yeah, wanted yeah. to have you I always wanted to have you on I just never um, got a, got around to it oh and thanks man yeah the um but some of those arguments that you and Sharon's character have right I always thought you guys had some kind of friendship or some kind of thing that you would have some kind of rapport before you even started doing the show. Like, it seemed like a show written by people who were um, good friends, even if it's only for, like, a couple of years. I was surprised to... Oh, we were. Not, you, got, you guys met each other. Oh, but, but you guys met each other off of uh, Twitter. This first, is right? true, but if we met in, I don't know, 2010, maybe, and that show, I mean, what is it, 2020 now? So, so we, so it's true that we met on Twitter, but we then hung out in real life, both in LA, where I lived at the time, and London, where Sharon oh. lived. And so, like, she would come to LA to make a pilot and I would help out on that or I would come to London and do stand up. So we did uh, hang out and become friendly. Uh, you know, she met my family. I met her family. And um, that makes and, sense. Yeah. So we definitely uh, had um, a friendship and rapport that uh, sometimes it's funny because people would say, you know, in the first show came out, they'd be like, oh, gosh. So, oh, wait, you guys aren't really married. Uh, and I would always horrify and upset 
uh, journalists by being like, no, we're kind of, if if anything, we're more like fraternal twins. That would be like our real life relationship, you know? Um, and so, yeah, we were like pals who just laughed at the same stupid stuff. And because um, yeah. you know what the problem is when you do research on some uh, the articles truncate stuff. So the articles oh, make sure, it seem yeah. like you guys just DM'd each other and then you yeah, just flew yeah. out to London. And uh, yeah, it's so, you know yeah, what's I'll, funny is I'm mm-hmm. way more sympathetic when I hear something in the news at, that like someone said this and then people leap on them. I'm like, well, you know what? They might not have said that. And so it's weird because I always assumed like, oh, they must have really said that. Uh, and then when you start getting interviewed and stuff a lot, an interview will come out, you'd be like, what the, you know, you're like, did they have their recorder on? I'll give you an example of how things are unreliable. Like when I was doing the background stuff to prepare for today's show, one story said, and both reputable articles, both Mm -hmm. interviewed you. So it wasn't like it was a third party without you around. Um, both were profiles of you. One said that she slid into your DMs. The other one said that you slid into her DM. And I'm like, okay, both of them, both of them can't be true. Right. I would guess... Uh, in fact, I'm certain that I uh, wrote her because I had seen her show Pulling, which is amazing and uh, ran for a couple seasons on the BBC. Um, so I would have I wrote her and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you follow me on this silly website. I'm crazy about your sitcom Pulling, uh, which is true. I mean, it's one of the best sitcoms ever made. And so that is that was first contact. So whoever said she wrote me uh, is either a liar or uh, an alcoholic or both. Oh, speaking speaking of uh, alcoholism, I <laughs> when I when I saw the um, plot line with the alcoholism, I assumed mm-hmm. it was uh, something that came from uh, personal experience. Mm-hmm. Just based on the way you handled it, you, you yeah. handled it in a very nuanced way. I, I think you can kind of tell when someone has an experience with something a lot of the times by the way yeah. they handle it. But yeah. then I read, then I read the story, and I was like, oh wow, okay, uh, <laughs> l- like that's a. I mean, I, I'll, I'll let you tell it, but there was, there, you had a major health scare. I don't know if you can call it a health scare. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, sure. So, it, of course, it was, you know, mental health that then affected physical health. Uh, but, yeah, so I've been sober now for 18 years. And um, thank you. Uh, yeah, so in 2002, uh, I had been trying to quit drinking for years and, ha- you know, was just a mess and scared, you know, uh, of, of sort of the specter on the horizon of, of the bad things that I thought would happen. And, uh, and I drove a car into a building and I got, you know, broke both my arms and wound up in jail. Um, and, so for, yeah, that was my uh, wake up call, and I I was just so grateful that I didn't kill or hurt anybody else. Um, and that's when I said, okay, so this is this is deadly for others. You know, people who are just like walking to work in the morning. You know, my drinking could lead me to drive a car up onto a sidewalk and kill them. You know, and that um, I didn't want that to happen. So. And I knew I couldn't regulate my drinking because I'd tried that. So uh, thank goodness I uh, got have since stayed sober. Um, so so yeah. So we did uh, fold a little of that into uh, catastrophe uh, to explore the dramatic and comedic uh, things that can happen 
you know, when when that's how you're living. And you went over to London specifically for a catastrophe, right? Were, were yep. you planning to always stay this long, or were you planning no originally way. to just? Oh, so originally you were just going to do the show and come back to America? Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I I thought we would do one season and it would get canceled and it would go back. Like my wife took a leave of absence from her teaching job, uh, thinking you know uh, this will be brief, which is what everybody thought, and um, and then it kept going, you know. And we were going to move back um, after the third season, but then our son Henry got cancer and he was sick, you know, very sick and and in the hospital and then ultimately died. And so, you know, we couldn't go back during the treatment for that. Uh, And then after he died, we couldn't do anything because you're just, you know, prostrate with grief. I can imagine. And so, and then more time passes and and now catastrophe's done and dusted and and we still live here. So, so that's an an example of of life uh really, you know, interrupting our plans, you know, quite brutally and and so we're still here with no plans to leave, which is insane. I mean, that's sh- unbelievable to me, you know. To what to what degree do you feel um, quasi British now? Um, it's a good question. I uh, so we've been here coming up six years, and I mean we're still all American citizens. Our third and fourth kids were born here, but they're still American because uh, the UK is just as aspects of the UK government are just as xenophobic as the American government. So some years ago. Not too long before we got here, they said, oh, we don't even care if you were born here. You're not a British citizen. Really? Uh, Yeah, if you're born to foreign parents. So our kids, upon birth, we had to get something called a consular report of a birth abroad and passports and visas. We had to go get visas for babies, which was bizarre. So, um, so England doesn't have birthright citizenship? No, no. They couldn't. They couldn't. You know, cr- this is actually, this segues into another question I was going to ask you, but I mean, I'll let you finish what you were saying, what you were saying for Oh, yeah. No, so I'm, I'm certainly American. I mean, of course, you know, we live here. We pay taxes here. Our kids go to school here. Uh, we have, we have visas, um, but we're not British by definition. Do I love a thousand things about this place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we cannot vote, but uh, we are, you know, very active in our community and and with I don't know neighborhood organizations and charities and 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 we have met and love a lot of people here. So we're we're pretty plugged in, even though we don't have uh, passports. It's just insane that you don't have don't have passports. Uh, one thing that's interesting, and this is a question I was going to ask, is that a lot of people have this idea, especially in America, about uh, England being so uh, much more progressive uh-huh. than than America. Whereas other people say, uh, no, it's it can be as uh, reactionary or nationalistic as America, but they'll yeah. just be more polite about it. And I was. Mm-hmm. What you just told me about the birthright citizenship just kind of blew blew my mind. But I want to get your take on that about uh, UK versus US uh, politics. Right. Okay. So the two big things, right? Because there's a tremendous amount in common between the US and the UK. Um, but the two massive differences um, are they have the NHS here. So you have taxpayer funded free at point of use medical care, uh, you know, 
and that's amazing. So you don't have an insurance company that you deal with that can drop you. Uh, you just get sick, go to the doctor and get treated. And the amount of stress that is just instantly removed from your life when you move here because of that is pretty dramatic because like you don't anybody you talk to in america is gonna have a story uh of something that happened to them even if it's something annoying like they have a prescription that they need and they went to get it filled and even though they pay their monthly premium to their insurance company their insurance company sold the prescription plan to another company that made a clerical error so all of a sudden you go and you find out you're not covered for prescriptions and you have to pay out of pocket and then try to get reimbursed blah 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 right i mean like everybody knows at least that type of annoying story or there's people who just don't go because they're too scared you know or they uh have to take an uber to the hospital rather than an ambulance because they don't want to get stuck with that gigantic you know thousands and thousands of dollars bill um so the fact that you don't have to deal with that here is massive and unbelievable and shame upon shame on every politician from the local to the national level who isn't pushing for Medicare for all like a freight train. So basically uh, the, 80, 89.9% of them basically shame on. Exactly. Them. Yeah. I mean, just just leave politics, you disgusting, pus-filled boil. Uh, ugh. Oh, they, how, how, how is it possible now, even after COVID-19? I know. It's so uh, crazy. People still can't. And, and you know what makes it a double slap in the face is that um, the biggest excuse that they gave, um, which is the excuse they give for everything. And I'm yeah. wondering how much life this excuse is going to have going forward is how can we pay for it? How can we pay for it? You know, but meanwhile, they just flushed how many trillion dollars yeah. down the toilet to get oh, yeah. to eke out one or two good stock market days. Yeah. So, so on, on top of telling people, but hey, we have no money for um, or universal health care. You know, all of a sudden we're now, and I mean, I'm among them. I am now, and I wasn't, you know, a few weeks ago. Uh, I am now aware of all these cities' police department budgets. You know, oh yeah, that's another. And one. I mean, yep. so a, a society, you know, it can afford anything that it wants to. You know, the United States government can afford anything that it wants to. It's just a question of do they want to. So to separate the U.S. and the U.K., the the second thing is that the in the United States there's more guns than people, and in the U.K. there's like eleven guns. And so that doesn't mean that people don't get murdered here. That you still can't. You can absolutely get stabbed to death. You could be murdered domestic violence. I mean, that stuff happens. But the numbers are so dramatically lower because there's just not the access to guns that there is in the U.S. You know, and that's not an abstraction, you know, like uh, my oldest son was uh, about would be about nine years ago. Um, a father and daughter were shot dead um, as part of a mass shooting in Santa Monica. Uh, six people were killed and two of the people at, at, at Santa Monica City College and two of the people were killed about 50 feet from his crib in his nursery. And uh, and so that's not just like, hey, I heard that there's some guns on the news or uh, hey, look at those. Look at that footage from the Oklahoma State House. those fat white guys with guns like that. I bet that's crazy. Like so. So I'm one of many people for whom this gun shit isn't even an abstraction. 
You know, it's real deal stuff. I actually remember that one. That was like 2012 or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I just had to do the math in my head. Um, and so, so those are two big things. Uh, if you get sick here, you can go to the doctor. And I, by sick, I mean you need antibiotics because you have strep throat. That you can do, uh, and you are not paying for it because you've already paid it through taxes and something that they have here called national insurance, uh, which is another thing that comes out of your paycheck. Um, and it's fucking tiny what comes out of your paycheck compared to uh, what would come out of your paycheck to play for your employer healthcare in America. Um, or if you have something like brain cancer, like my son Henry had, you know, um, that would have ruined us um in america and it didn't here you know um and i mean, so those, I, mean it, I can't overstate the importance of those two differences and i probably don't need to because anybody listening would be like yeah uh-huh i get it uh i just want to say verbally i want to give you uh my condolences on henry i, I gave you condolences uh via dm on uh twitter but i feel like uh speaking I, verbally i, I should so appreciate that man Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, it's uh, funny because I like love to talk about him. And so I know people can be like sheepish about saying something. And I always say to those people like, you're not bringing him up to me in that moment because I'm already thinking about him. You know, I guarantee that five minutes has not passed where I didn't see his chubby little face in my mind. So it's it's uh, so thank you. That means a lot. I really appreciate that. Yeah, because I remember you actually uh, told me that Twitter by DM, and I was like oh. floored, and I was like, "Wow, I don't even know what, what to say." <laughs> and then, and then uh, after he passed, I was like, you know, I have to reach out and and say something. Mm. But I had the same thing where I felt uh, sheepish about bringing it up. But then I saw um, he did this. It's funny. I was being very sheepish about bringing it up uh, after he passed, and then I then I did, and he said thank you and everything. And then I, I saw this thing that you did where you wrote about it, and you mm-hmm. actually did a big thing about it for um, NHS. And I thought that was very brave and, and uh, emotional. Like I, I well, said that you know that- what? I, I'm going to jump in here and say that the reason I did that is because it made me. Here's the thing. My son died of cancer. I I, I don't know where he is. I don't know how to deal with that pain other than try to, you know, spend time with my family, be kind to others, do good works, whatever. I, I don't know. It's a big question mark. But I do know that when my son was going through chemotherapy and surgery and all this stuff and in and suffering that all that time I had some money in the bank because I'm on TV because I won some big stupid lottery now most of the people whose kids get cancer are not going to have the the material good fortune that I have right and so even in the UK where uh you have the NHS you still it's you still take a massive financial hit when your child gets cancer because you have to turn down work. You have to travel to and from the hospital all the time. If you're grieving, you're fucked and you can't work well or properly anyway. So we saw my wife and I, we saw illness and disability really ravage other families and not get the help that they needed from the community, uh, from, you know, local, from their town or city and the social, like the equivalent of like home care, Medicaid type stuff that you'd have in America. Because despite the fact that you can get amazing hospital care here and not take a hit, if you have a chronic illness or disability, you're just as 
fucked as you are in America because it's much easier to cut care for disabled people or chronically ill people. Um, the community care, like visiting nurses and stuff like that, because most people don't use that stuff. So since that's a little bit sort of behind the curtain for most people, it's easy for politicians to cut. It's difficult for politicians to cut the NHS here, which is another reason Americans should fight tooth and nail for Medicare for all, because once you get it, it's going to be very hard to take it away. So um, so I have to speak out uh, uh, in terms of healthcare for people because like... What happened to my family is terrible, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody ever in a million years, but we had a bit of a cash cushion to help us out, and I am so upset about what I saw happen to families who suffered indignity on top of indignity just because they were poor or just because they were underemployed or anything, you know? And so I would be a fucking bubbling trash bag filled with diarrhea that is somehow flaming. <laughs> Maybe there's gasoline in the diarrhea. If I didn't use the mouthpiece that I've been given to push for true universal free at point of use healthcare. Uh, so that that's why I talk about that stuff. I Look, do I want to talk about my son who died to a fucking camera crew full of strangers and then repeat stuff if there was noise in the background. I mean, what an inorganic, bizarre way to talk about your baby boy who died on your couch. You know what I mean? I don't want to fucking do that, but I will because yeah. I know that that stuff is still happening to people. And a lot of those people are in dire financial situations the, in in most cases that were fucking created by, uh, you know, the cancerous late stage capitalism. Um, and and I fuck that. So that's why I talk about that stuff. You're sounding like a like a flaming commie with that late stage capitalism. Uh, Terrific. Because so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, this this was this was funny. Um, the Tucker Carlson, the Tucker Carlson uh, clip of was talking about you and yeah. a bunch of other people uh, as I guess enemies enemies of the state, right? Yeah. Basically, but right. What I like is um, okay. So I've been I've been. Um, like every time I, before I have somebody on, I don't like to rest on what I already know about them. I always like yeah. to uh, read up on them and see uh, what I could find out. So in the past couple of days, I've seen a lot of pictures of you and mm -hmm. you don't look like a pushover of a guy, but you don't um, make yourself look uh, menacing. You're not like scowling like like Ice Cube at the camera in, <laughs> in 1990s, you know, you know, like, yeah. like, like 1990s Ice Cube, you know, you usually take regular, you know, pictures, you know, um, <laughs> You're a you're a big guy. Uh, mm -hmm. like, we were like 6'3", right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and 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 you look you look normal. Like you like like yeah. you don't look a pushover. You don't look a pushover, but you don't look like some kind of thug. He found some picture of you that I'm very impressed. His research tour, <laughs> like you look really uh, <laughs> really like a bomb thrower in the picture. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> I love the picture that he found of you. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. I mean, I, I think what the Tucker Carlsons of the world don't understand is I don't want a cop to beat him to death. You know, like that's so weird. I mean, I know he's like an entertainer. I know he uh, which in in many ways is worse. Yes, he's he's stirring the pot in a way to 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 get viewers, you know, ginned up and all right. Um, but like 
I think for him a lot too. Of, I think he believes it to a degree. I don't oh, know. Like, it, it, see, the thing is, he he may very well. I don't know, but I, but I also don't so much care. I'm never exactly. going to try to convince him of anything. At the end of the day, anything. the effect is the effect is the same. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, but I think what a lot of people don't realize about socialism is like the if I could wish anything on my quote worst enemy or like somebody who you would say oh this guy is uh, here's a guy who's diametrically opposed to rob delaney he's a he's a christian conservative gun owner whatever you know you know i don't you know what i want for that guy i want for that guy to be able to take his kid to the hospital and not stress about money and bills and whether or not he'll also be able to eat that week you know what i mean Uh, that's what i fucking want uh and so it, it's silly that that Tucker Carlson ran that segment of people, you know. Yeah, I, I was encouraging people to donate and donating myself to to bail funds to get people out of jail because jail's a fucking disaster. Fucking chew you up and spit you out. I mean, I, I don't want people to be in jail, especially not for just saying I don't think black people should be murdered. For, for allegedly passing a fake $20 bill. I I allegedly passed a fake $100 bill maybe 15 years ago or something. No, it'd be almost 20 years ago. And um, that didn't happen. Uh, yeah. I, I remember the Secret Service did get in touch with me, which was very weird. Apparently, I, I didn't know this at the time, but the, the Secret Service began as a Department of the Treasury Department. And so they're still under their auspices. So it was weird that like cops, FBI, and as, but they were very polite. And I went off on a little tangent there. What I'm, but the, no, no, what no, it no, illustrates no, 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 is no, that didn't. I didn't get murdered to death by a cop that I used to work at the same club with as a bouncer. I mean, what the fuck has anybody very untangled bizarre, that yeah, shit Very yet? bizarre story. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I didn't get murdered. And, and that guy, George Floyd, got murdered. Um, you know, I mean, we, we know from reading in the news, we've met his, his brother eulogizing him, seen pictures of him holding his daughter. He's calling for his mother as he, as he was killed. It's uh, very heartbreaking. I mean, just a dynamic, uh, fuck, I'm all those things. I'm a dad. I'm a brother. <laughs> you know, I, I have a mom and I don't want to get murdered. You don't. Fucking Tucker Carlson doesn't. And that guy shouldn't. Nobody should. And because of of the, the way our ultra militarized police system is set up and, and sicked upon black communities, that's fucking such a grotesque national sin that we, at the very least witness, you know, and at most participate in or or direct or foment if we're somebody like a Tucker Carlson. And um that's even just stop. the people who do frivolous uh phone calls. They, you know, that's another thing that happens. Like like a lot of people like like that lady in Central Park who went, yeah. who went viral. Yeah, you know, yeah. but she was basically calling the cops. Once you do that and she was basically saying the angry black man stuff, yeah. she pretty much knows that she's risking his life. And that's she's, actually that's like calling in a drone strike. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, That's exactly what it's like. But your, your politics, right? How did your politics basically get, get formed? And also, how, how did the um, health crisis you faced with your son change them even further? You know, because um, right now, I mean, you're pretty much un- unabashedly on socialist. You've been very vocal mm-hmm. about the, the the Labor Party politics. Even though you can't vote, you guys have uh, talking about it. I've seen mm-hmm. uh, you and your wife talk about it. And I was wondering how you got to um, 
this point? I mean, if you were um, political before, how were you political and how has it changed in the past couple of years? So it's funny because it was sort of like, uh, I don't know, like a sun coming out from behind the clouds or something like a, a gradual process. I mean, I suppose when I was finishing up with college, uh, the first time I gave real thought to an election and, and yes, it was, uh, you know, national electoral politics that first, uh, you know, grabbed my attention as it does with so many Americans, but I'm so grateful to all the protesters now for showing us what real democracy is. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm far less concerned with the sort of elections that happen every four years or every two years on the national level than I am with, um, you know, giving material sustained support uh to things like black lives matter or like the little lobbyists are amazing if you don't know who they are they're they're disabled no, I never heard of them. they're disabled kids who just go to capitol hill and fucking harass um congress people and they're so great because they look like my little boy you know they'll be like a kid in a wheelchair with a tracheotomy <laughs> chasing oh, so, so so they're really little as in we say little lobbyists they're oh yeah kids. yeah yeah like children um and it's wonderful um and uh so that's the type of stuff i'm way more now down for direct action um protests strikes you know community support um than than I am interested in national politics. But back when it was, um, you know, 2000 and it was Bush versus Gore, that was the first one where I, uh, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, re like registering to vote, figuring out where I would vote and, and getting jazzed up for it. Um, I think it was easier prior. The only other time I'd been able to vote was in the little town that I grew up in in Massachusetts. So I just went to the local high school gym or whatever. But uh, yeah, I lived in New York at the time. And um, by that time, I'm like paying attention again to larger scale stuff like international uh, politics, which are, of course, important. But I'm thinking about like American foreign policy and stuff. And for an uh, American, that's huge because because we're very bad at caring at all what happens uh, internationally. Right. And you totally Even if it's involving Americans. You totally absolutely should. But I actually was giving that as like an example of I'm happy that I think the way that I do more now, which is like I'm going to get way more invested in like a mayoral race or whatever, uh, or, or, or harassing a mayor um, than as part of some organized campaign than uh, I am about a president. But but also anyway. Uh, so, yeah, that was. Yeah. 2000 was the first time I like paid very serious attention. Um, and by then, the way, you, on this show, you don't have to worry about digressions or tangents because okay. that's basically like uh -huh. half what the show is about. <laughs> the, okay, the hosts cool. do them all the time. <laughs> so if you have an interesting thought, follow it through. Like uh, we don't really care. Just just uh, go wherever yeah, yeah. it takes you. I mean, to finish that digression, I would say it's like, you know, just take care of your own house before you worry about other places. Like, that's why b people who in my my life would likely be able to tell you about my domestic priorities before they would be able to tell you about my foreign uh, policies, you know, um, which is to say they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. What is Rob talking about? Yeah. Medicare for all. Right. You know, they wouldn't necessarily the first or second thing wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, we need to fucking <laughs> 
decimate the uh, the Pentagon's budget um, or whatever. Um, I, I mean, people, I, I heard the word down ballot by regular people mm-hmm. so often this past year. Yeah. And and I've never used to hear it before. Like the idea of, um, you know. Oh, so great. Checking off everything. And, and that is very encouraging as far as what you're talking about, that people actually care about what's happening oh, locally. So- I literally didn't know what down ballot meant. Uh, yeah, yeah. Two, two mean, years ago. How wonderful. Well, I think what it is is that we had sort of a historical blip um, from like the fall of the Berlin Wall until like I need to identify because I think this thought a lot. I need to identify at least like a two year period for when I feel that it ended. Uh, it would be sometime during Obama's presidency, but I, I have to pinpoint it. But from like 1989 to like 2000, why don't we say 14 for now, um, where people were like, I guess, you know, things are just kind of trudging forward and things are gradually getting better for enough people, you know, and I guess I what do I vote every four years, maybe every two if I can manage, if I feel like it, you know. So it's so and so now everybody knows that history is fucking back in session. You know what I mean? Um, Because things are going crazy all over the world, which is really a much more normal state for the world. You know, this. Yeah. yeah, If if anything, this post World War Two boom was basically an an anomaly, like like this level of prosperity was just a weird blip. Yeah. And so. um so it's great that people are, are, you know, throwing around the term down ballot and, and executing on it. And it's even a wonderful shift from even, you know, four, eight years ago. I mean, like Obama, you know, uh, pretty much disbanded his sort of uh, national machine and state machine upon assuming the presidency. And so he he really dropped the ball, him, him and his sort of coterie of, of folks, because Republicans just fucking never sleep on that stuff. You know what I mean? Um, state legislatures, judges, I mean, just, um, they're just, you have to tip your hat. They're fucking amazing at it. Something, something we always talk about is that a lot of uh, socialists and radicals and stuff, they um, bash incrementalism, but we always say that what they call incrementalism is liberals promising uh, incremental change, mm-hmm. but really delivering nothing. We're not planning to deliver anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Republicans, what is brilliant about them is they verbally swing for the fences all yep. the time, yeah. but then settle for yeah. incremental change. So if yeah, you look yeah, at yeah, things yeah. like um, gun control, abortion rights, mm-hmm. they're, they're actually the real party of incrementalism. They mm-hmm. talk big, but yeah. they run like a long ground game. They, they run a, oh, a long running time. game. I remember, yeah. I, I need to look it up because Grover Norquist, um, you know, is perhaps uh, more responsible for the mantra of cutting taxes. Uh, you know, he's probably more responsible for that than anybody else and any or any single individual. And I, I, I read some interview with him where he was like, so I think in terms of decades, you know, like if you give me five years, I can't really achieve too much. 10 years could probably start to chip away at something. Give me 30 years and there's really not much that you can't achieve. Um, and uh, hey, hats off to him because, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. what he's done to taxes for the wealthy and, and what his uh, students have done uh, to taxes for the wealthy is fucking astonishing. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. A lot of us bash incrementalism because we're used to it being used as a rhetorical weapon to do um, nothing. But actual incrementalism is, you know, but like it's, it's like it's like gambling. You can't go to the casino aiming to break even, or you're yeah, yeah. just gonna lose lose each time. Oh, you know? exactly. Yeah, but incrementalism is something to settle for while mm-hmm. shooting for the big things. Like there is a track record of it working, just yeah. not amongst uh, liberals. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but then to continue, I mean, so then uh, I had my own health stuff um, with drinking where I wound up um, back in 2002 with incredible medical debt. And I remember thinking like, uh, okay, nobody poured this booze down my throat. I did it to myself. I accept responsibility for placing myself where I am. But uh, but I, it, something smelled wrong about it that a person couldn't, because uh, I remember thinking like, well, I feel like I ha- might have some uh, things that would be useful to, you know, the, the world at large, you know, um, wouldn't it be great if I weren't shackled to all this medical debt um, or uh, if I didn't have to get a terrible job to get the health insurance so that I could afford to go to the doctor and stuff, you know? And so people are just so buried by medical debt. And I learned, you know, I was certainly not the only one um, buried by medical debt or chained to a job that they hated uh, just to get benefits. And um, so that, um, you know, helped me realize that, uh, you know, there were some very fundamental problems uh the way america was running at the very least healthcare and uh and then i came over here and and for me the big thing i think happening was achieving uh financial success as a result of winning the lottery in the world of entertainment uh at the same time that my son was getting sick and dying in a manner that no doctor in the world could have helped him with the type of cancer that he had. And so um, can I ask you a quick can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. Um yeah. you say you won the lottery. Mm-hmm. Um if you don't mind me asking, how comfortable were you before you won the lottery? Like like was it like a whiplash where you were like check to check and suddenly um things just started going really good as far as like uh the couple of years before things started getting uh, comfortable or like, was it a gradual thing? Was it uh, the reason I'm asking is because I'm, I'm wondering as far as uh, I was, I'm always wondering about that when it comes to people's politics, like if they've like how close they've skirted to the bottom before they got comfortable and how that informs if it does in any way, right. Uh, their so, political evolution. Uh, okay. So as recently as 2010, um, my wife was a public, uh, middle school teacher at a public school in California. And I was working at Investors Business Daily, uh, the newspaper making less than minimum wage, trying to sell this terrible financial newspaper. To people. I've read that paper. It is really bad. I mean, it is garbage. And uh, and uh, the best part, though, is that I started working there right uh, as the global financial crash happened. So not only in normal, quote, normal times, is it uh, a shitty thing, a shitty job to have and a shitty paper to peddle. Um, and, may- and they have weird politics. I don't, I don't want to get on digression, but um, I used to read it when I was first dabbling in investing. Yeah. And there was there's a weird political undercurrent to that thing that I cannot understand. Oh, it's, it's, not it's, regular- it's, it's disgustingly uh, right wing to the point of like psychopathy. It make like it, it, you would read the Wall Street Journal afterwards as a palate cleanser. Palate cleanser, yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm working there 
making less than minimum wage. Uh, and my wife is the breadwinner. And at night, I'm taking the bus because we share a car across Los Angeles to go do stand-up. So that's 2010. Uh, then at the end of 2010, I got my first TV writing job that uh, made it so I was making about the same as my wife as a public school teacher. And the cool part was, is that things had been shitty for long enough before that, that I was like, oh my God, we have it made, you know? So, plus I guess I was a little bit, like I didn't I didn't have success in entertainment at age 21, which for me would have been disastrous, but rather I was 33. And uh, so the fact that, uh, at 33, I was able to, my wife and I were able to pay our bills and put a little bit in the bank, um, with our both having jobs was pretty, was pretty great. And that to me was like the mountaintop. So anything on top of that was just gravy that I didn't like. It's funny. Cause I can get offered jobs now where they're like, you're going to make this, cr- you, you need to do this because the financial implications for you will be crazy. And I'll be like, <laughs> I don't think you understand. I don't need money because I can afford trousers for my kids for at least another year and a half, you know? So and this like, was crazy. I think about becoming uh, successful young is some of these people will get, think you're successful young. They'll be like millionaires and still selling out. And it's like, oh my God, how much money do you need? I'm, yeah, I'm sorry for inter- interruption. It's, it's, yeah, it's so weird. So anyway, so, but then, so then, uh, but then after the success of Catastrophe, we made more money. And, um, but what happened was, is that our kid got sick at the same time. So I was like writing for TV and doing stand up and, and able to pay the bills that way, which was amazing. Um, but then when people really started to like know who I was because of catastrophe, that was the first thing that really brought me to like getting an Emmy nomination or something. And at the same time, Henry got sick. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm raising through the like socioeconomic strata and having the opportunity, not always taking it, but ha- at least having the opportunity uh, to rub shoulders with the hot shots and all that stuff. Um, and people who have a, of, of a very skewed idea of themselves, not because they're monsters, but because it's just hard to have people blowing smoke up your ass all the time and have it not affect you, you know? Um, and so I'm around people at the same time, I'm leaving like an awards show or a fucking whatever to go to the hospital to help train a nurse on my son's complex tracheotomy. You know what I mean? Not that all the nurses are great, but our son had a particular type of thing. And as his parents, we just got really good at it. And so like if I have to go to the hospital in the middle of the night to do whatever, and then in the bed next to my son on both sides are people who are fucking struggling, you know, like there was a mom when we were in the hospital, um, a mom in the room next to ours, um, who had two disabled kids killed herself. And my wife and I were, you know, distraught. And the nurses in the hospital, of course, were as well. But what really blew my mind is they were like, yeah, that happens sometimes where a parent who's had like their home care package for their kid cut to the point where they have to be awake 24 hours a day to care for their kid who might have like a breathing issue and they can't handle it and they fucking snap, you know? And 
So for me, the the juxtaposition of being around like really wealthy people and really poor people often during the same day just made me realize that money is a fucking joke and nobody earned it. Nobody deserves it. Nobody didn't earn it or didn't deserve it. You know, I would look back at like having dinner with my wife after she got home in our car from teaching at a public school and then uh, going to go do stand-up in that same car or taking the bus if she had plans with friends, you know. And I'd look at that those people, my wife and I at that time, be like, well, they didn't deserve to stress out every month about bills, and n- nor do people who have the money to pay their bills comfortably and not even think about it because they have an accountant do it or whatever, nor do they deserve that incredible privilege. Um, it just fucked me up, you know? A lot of people hate hearing that. Like, a lot of people hate hearing the idea that they're not... I mean, not just people. We have whole generations. Like, like boomers, for example, uh, to go back to something you said, don't want to believe their whole generation just benefited from being born in this anomalous... Uh, correction to uh, depression yeah. and simultaneous fall of every yeah. other first world power. They really want to believe that it's some kind of moral reward from God. Yeah, and it just isn't. I mean, we're born falling apart, you know, like uh, you mentioned my height earlier. So I'm six foot three, I'm 43. I weigh 200 and I'm not sure what because I haven't wanted to weigh myself during lockdown. And I'm the like, same here. Like if I get if I'm on the floor or whatever with playing with my kids and then I go to get up, it fucking takes a second. You know what I mean? And because I'm like, oh, creaky old bones, you know, and and so I can feel like where where my lower back like connects to my pelvis now cracks and it sounds like fucking popcorn, you know, and it's so weird. And like uh, these, these, it's, it's all downhill from here. (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh oh, yeah. Oh oh, oh, no, I'm I'm in my forties too. And I have twice a week physical therapy for my knee. And and I'm like, how did I get here? Like, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, Where I have to hear things pop. And, and then, and especially seeing in our own home, this beautiful boy, you know, at age one, get diagnosed with cancer and then die a little before his third birthday. You know, I saw a whole human life, you know, begin and end. And, you know, he didn't deserve that uh, and he didn't earn that or he didn't not earn a life where he gets to go to school like a normal kid riding his scooter and playing fucking tiddlywinks, whatever. Like, so it just made me realize, like, we're (laughs) life is going to contain a great deal of suffering no matter what. And we're all in it together. And there's fucking enough to go around. That's the crazy thing is there's enough to go around, you know? And, and, you know, yeah, come on, man. I mean, that's it's just ridiculous. I mean, I guess maybe it's like good. Uh, could you hear the quotes around good? <laughs> that that income inequality now is so insane, like Gilded Age levels, that it, it is unsustainable. It's kind of like if you built a car with like two giant wheels on one side and then two tiny ones, it's just going to not yeah, work. Yeah, it's so unsustainable. And, and, and what's crazy is like that's the natural progression that we've been on, except yeah. for a couple of decades anomaly where we had this uh, vibrant, 
thriving middle class that people started thinking was just the normal way of the world. Like people thought, thought thinking that we were entitled to have a, a normal thriving middle class and that and that's always been how America has been. And no, it wasn't. Yeah. It was this weird anomaly. It was created by the government. It wasn't yeah. cre- like people think of this thing about this middle class as being a product of hard work and bootstraps while mm-hmm. everyone else collects uh, welfare. It's like, no, you guys had your own welfare. You had the GI Bill. You had mm-hmm. um, FHA programs, a whole yeah. things designed to create a middle class. And you couldn't do it without government either as a, as a whole class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of legends that a lot of people don't want to give up about. Well, that's uh, one themselves. thing that I found so encouraging about uh, the resurgent socialist movement is that is um, most of the people that I talk to um, are, are, are pretty good um, at studying history. And I, I've just been given so many or recommended to me so many books and so many things to read that are so massively enlightening. And it's funny because, you know, American, you know, the modern 24 hour news, Twitter uh, machine is is really encourages you to not look at history. Um, and when you do that, you don't even have to go back that far. That's what's so exciting. You know, uh, like if you go back even in American history, you know, like now people are beginning to learn, you know, that a lot of these statues to uh, Confederate generals and stuff weren't built after the fucking five year Confederacy, but in fact were built 75 years later, 110 years later, you know? Yeah, he's and, propaganda um, project. I mean, that's fucking insane. And um, so you know what's you- insane too? Have you, have you realized how cheap they were? Like I was reading about how recent they were, but they're also very cheap. Oh, that's that's why That's why they fall down so easy. Like they <laughs> bend with a couple of people. They just like slap together <laughs> yeah. overnight with no craft involved. Yeah. Or like, why are there, what is that big weird building? Uh, you know, you look at it and it says National Guard, Armory. Why is that there? Oh, is it to defend us in case people? No. A lot of those were built to, to store weapons when they needed to put down strikes, you know, um, of American citizens wanting to have like a fucking weekend, you know, um, or to <laughs> make it so kids don't have to work <laughs> like with lead in, in factories or whatever. covered in suit inhaling lead yeah so so that's a wonderful thing about about all the uh socialists many of whom are so young which is so great uh that are that are turning me on to this stuff and i'm I so think, grateful i think gen x people like you and i are different like people in their 40s thinking about this stuff because i feel like a lot of people our age they came up in that time you said where it was daily show and colbert mm-hmm. uh this kind of vague west wing type liberalism in the time mm-hmm. of um bush a lot of people that were good back then are horrible now as in like <laughs> they're the people saying remember the good old days when we had good dictators like bush you know uh, and the defending and defending Obama uh yeah. paddling around with uh George Bush and it's like uh, yeah, yeah so many uh people who seem to have good politics in the 2000s are horrible now so i think uh it's 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 good to see other gen xers kind of like uh taking the lead from people younger cuz cuz that's kind of been uh where i've been too where like either people older or people younger but i feel like gen x is like this weird like like i think the only real political principle our generation really had which was kind of vague was don't sell out but then everyone mm. did anyway so yeah. it's like it's interesting i mean you just gotta try to stay malleable try to stay teachable uh humility is underrated in the uh general sort of 
public discourse. It's pretty good stuff. And I think it's a sign of strength if you're willing to show humility and and be able to examine past beliefs and stuff and see where they're not serving you anymore. Okay, I, I'm going to talk about craft. Like, we talked about politics for a while, but I kind of want to talk about comedy real quick before you okay. go. I wanted to talk to you. Uh, you didn't start out doing stand-up, right? You started out with improv? Yeah, I, uh, I did do improv, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, but it became difficult to, when I realized like, oh, I'm a comedy psychopath and I must do this. I realized like, oh, I can't be waiting around for an improv team or group or sketch group or people with varying degrees of commitment. I want to do comedy right now all the time. And so stand up was better suited to that. Um, you know, people make fun of improv. It's like it had been sort of in vogue for a while and i think now it might not be but uh i've laughed so hard at so much improv and had a lot of fun doing it it's just hard to do it constantly and seriously enough to sort of get anywhere with it so that's why stand up served me better like to what degree do you feel like because uh, i think like there's two types of stand-up comedians it's like stand-up comedians who like stand-up comedy but it's just like one tool in the toolbox like for example eddie murphy they say isn't like say chris rock or jerry seinfeld but they say like eddie murphy was really a singer who used to do uh warm-up jokes and comedy during his uh singing because he, <laughs> he had a band and then people kind of started liking his comedy better than they liked um, the music. So he always, that's why after he got big, he was never one of those people. You know, Seinfeld and Chris Rock always have to go back and do yeah. comedy. And it's like, it's, it's in their blood. Like yeah. he was good at it, but he was just as fine doing acting or whatever. Like apparently his first thing was really, if he had his way, he would have much rather have made it big as a, as a musician. Oh, that's uh, wild. I didn't know that. Yeah. People always thought he was just some kind of comedy guy who just out of a uh, bandy project wanted to do music, but apparently music was his like uh, first love and he kind of stumbled into oh, that's comedy. Wild. That's why he's never really been pulled back into it. His, his hmm. identity apparently is not really uh, stand up comedy and part of the community the way it is for some people. And I was wondering like uh, what stand up comedy is to you, if it's one of those extremes or somewhere in the middle? Um, well, I really love to do it. Um, it's weird because I'm having to think now, you know, with coronavirus lockdown and all that, like when will I be able to do it again? You know, and I'm not personally uh, terribly interested in finding some new way to do it, like at a drive in place or they're trying uh, zoom stand up but it's very awkward it yeah, doesn't really work uh, without the la laugh track. I'll, I, maybe i'll let them work out the kinks on that before i do jump in there but so uh yeah i just really love doing it because you're when you do it you're the writer the director the editor the producer the you know the transport to the gig i mean you're everything and um and it's it's so uh fun to commune with an audience that way. I mean, the audience is so important, you know, um, to the whole thing. I know you, the comedian gets the credit, but the, the audience, I swear to God, like all your kind of like psyches plug in together or whatever, and the audience helps the comedian achieve funnier stuff, you know? So I really love it and um, I want to continue to do it. Um, I suppose the only qualification I would make is that I don't enjoy doing stand-up as much as I enjoy raising kids. So uh, I allow for the possibility that 
I don't know, some that I might not be able to do it as much as I want while my kids are young, you know, but uh, I, uh, yeah, I want to keep doing it. I don't want to stop doing it and I hate that I can't do it right now. But I mean, I assume you probably still, I mean, you seem to be one of those people that has a brain is always looking for things that are funny. So I'm assuming you're probably still writing down, even if it's smidgens of ideas, as far as jokes go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. The other thing I want to ask, and this is the last thing I want I wanted to ask, but you can go to town on it. Um, like when I was looking at your stand up and also the show, like there seems to be this weird divide now, right? Where it's like I feel like in the in the two thousands we were kind of and you touched on this at one point in the uh, interview today, but I forget the context. But you talked about how things, how history has kind of come back, right? Yeah. And, and how, you know, uh, people kind of realizing, wow, racism is still real, sexism yeah. is still real, all this stuff is still real. Like, we're not as mm-hmm. past it as we thought. But what's interesting about that is I feel like comedy's kind of been a- affected by that too. As in, mm-hmm. um, there was this weird period in the 2000s. I think this is why everyone's getting canceled because of old old tweets, mm-hmm. is where people thought, okay, we're post-racial, we're yeah. post-sexism. So every Thing is okay because nothing's real anymore. So you had women yeah. who were like raunchier or more frat boyish, the guys. You had like mm-hmm. the cool black comedians who would make racial jokes that would be almost self-hating now. Like, like the Chris Rock N-words versus black people joke would uh-huh. go over horribly now, you know, yeah. especially yeah. in front of a of a white audience. And mm-hmm. some people kind of complain that now there's overcorrect. Like like mm-hmm. like when I when I watch when I watch your show, you still kind of talk about like edgy edgy things, both in the stand up and in the um, show, mm-hmm. but but without a need to be transgressive for its own sake. Like uh, so, it shows it is possible to still talk about different things without being prudes. But the discourse now kind of is making it sound like comedy is being overruled by this woke cancel culture uh, instinct, and there's no room to be funny. And I want to know to what degree you agree or disagree with like an overrun of wokeness. Right. If it's not even something that you think is even real or difficult to navigate. Well, it's interesting because I think uh, restrictions um, on anything can result in good stuff. Like that's what I liked about Twitter in the beginning when it was 140 characters is it forced you to cut out the fat and and just really have like the good stuff. Um, And so I like to say provocative stuff. I like to say stuff that you quote shouldn't at the dinner table or whatever. But I also in a in a very sort of egalitarian way, think that women want to laugh at crazy, wacky, dirty, edgy stuff. So do black people. So do trans people. So do Muslim people. Like we all like to be titillated and have fun and be silly and be weird and be dark. And so I'll talk about whatever I want to talk about. I try to do it and it comes more naturally now. And I don't know, maybe I'm like thinking, maybe I'm like reverse engineering it to to think about how I do it. But like, I want to be able to perform for a very diverse audience, both at a comedy club and through TV or movies or whatever. And so to me, the funniest joke, like if I'm trying to make everybody laugh, uh, I don't know. I don't want people to feel excluded like like to find the joke that makes 
the widest group of people laugh is the challenge. You know what I mean? So I'm not personally too stressed by the fact that, you know, I mean, like if you talk about like the N word, for example, 10 years ago, if uh, a song came on that had the N word in it and I'm doing my best terrible attempt to rap along with it, I would have said the N-word with it, right? I'm singing along. I want to keep my rhythm going. I'm in my car by myself, whatever. Uh, now, I wouldn't do that, right? And it might so, so, feel... So, so, so even, even by yourself in the car, you wouldn't do it? Uh, that's a great... That's a, that's, a, <laughs> that's a major... That's a very serious question. I'll tell you why. I haven't driven a car in a very long time. Oh, man, the, look, 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 look at that out. And, and it's true because it's in the it's in the article. I saw you don't have a car. So so you, you got out <laughs> on the technicality. Look at that. No, but you know what I mean? Like what let's let's it let's peel apart the petals of the of the flower of my soul. Uh gosh, if I were alone, that's uh that's a thorny one. I suppose I wouldn't. I'll tell you why. Cuz I have kids, right? And you want to establish good habits. And so I have, I think it's perfectly okay for me to think to say something and then not say it because I don't want that to even enter my kid's consciousness. You know what I mean? I might not say something that my parents would have said. I'm the generation that thinks it's like about to come out of my mouth. And I'm like, you know what? What if I didn't? Right. And then my kids don't even ever hear it. You know what I mean? I know that's like clunky, but that's still good, you know? And so I'm going to say something that I think a lot of people don't want to say, but I okay. think one of the problems, I used to not think this way, but I, I'm starting to think this way now. I think one of the problems is like rap makes it sound extra good on top of everything else. Like it makes it um like for example, um the Kanye West, the Kanye West and the Kanye West and Gwyneth Paltrow uh song. So the, the Kanye West and Jay-Z song in Words in Paris. Uh-huh. Uh they they're performing it and then Gwyneth Paltrow says it and then people say you shouldn't say it. You know, she does mm-hmm. a tweet saying, you know, I'm with my N words in Paris and everyone ah. gets mad at her and then she gets defiant. And by all means, by all means, she was a hundred percent I'm not going to do what the rapper Nas did, which is go to bat for her and uh-huh. say, oh, she's down. She gets a pass. No, she doesn't. She shouldn't be saying it. Uh, she shouldn't be saying it. It's terrible for her to say well, it. Well, here's and to, the like, thing be there. De- and be defiant about it afterward. Yeah. But, but then part of me wants to say, um, Kanye and Jay-Z made the song sound really good. And they're performing <laughs> yeah. it in front of a bunch of rich white people. And it's like, not to give her a pass at all, but then part of me starts wondering. And so I've been kind of feeling funny about the idea of just throwing the word out there all the time and making it sound sexy. But then what happens is, this is what ends up happening to me. Some white person will tell me, well... Black people shouldn't say it either. And then just because of that, now I don't want to, like, I don't want to stop saying it because a white person tells me. Sure. We shouldn't say it. So then it kind of ends up being this conundrum where you don't really know where to go with it as far as uh, using it or not using it, even as a as a black person. Like, for example, on this podcast, I have a podcast I know a lot of white people listen to. Uh-huh. So if me and the other black co-hosts um, 
I started noticing I don't want to say it, even if I yeah. would naturally say it, because yeah. I don't even want to give people the vicarious thrill of enjoying the word. Yeah, then I start wondering, I mean, am I being fake in that way? I don't think so. And I also don't think that it's, or rather, I'll say it in a positive way. I think it's a good thing to have a conversation like this. And I think it's indicative of progress. And so for me, if I'm listening to, okay, I've been listening, I'm from Boston and I listen to Gangstar and I love Gangstar. Right. But I when Guru says the N word now, I'm not going to say it. And even though that might sound phonetically like weird, like if you hooked it up to a thing that fucking measured sonic balance and harmony, you'd be like, wait, why did the human stop that on that word when the other guy, you know? Yeah. The thing is, that's fucking okay. That's okay that white me stops in the middle of the song and makes the tiniest fucking fraction of a sacrifice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, good, f- good for fucking me that it was weird to stop singing a word. Who gives a shit? That's like, I could, that's the least <laughs> that I could do, you know? So I don't really I, I, care. Yeah, I'm, that I'm, 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 also, I mean, the way I feel about it too is like, I feel like there's all this weird thing. I, I was reading, I was reading this, this book called The Hate You Give. It wasn't a particularly good book, but mm-hmm. um, it wasn't a particularly good book, but there was a scene where uh, the white boyfriend rapping along with the black girlfriend uh-huh. and he stops uh, on the N-word on the songs yeah. and leaves it out and she notes in the narration he mm-hmm. left it out like, you know, a good ally should. And I'm like, that's just weird to me. Like, like I don't want to like over-congratulate people for not saying it at the same time. Like, like yeah. I kind of feel like we should have a more honest conversation. Like, I feel the conversation that we're having is better than than me, you know, th- than you saying you don't use it, than me going like, way to go, guy. You, uh, you know, you, yeah, well, the thing there is like... It's all about show, don't tell. And that's another thing. You can see it... um like feminism here, here, is a here, great. Here. I, I'll give you a great example. Okay. You donated a bunch of money to a, a bail fund, you know? So um, it's like a lot of people will kind of blow past that and then just talk about um, what are you doing in your car? conversation and i just feel like everything is flattened to this weird weird degree you know like if you're doing Uh. tangible things to help black people or protesters and we live in this kind of climate where i I don't know i feel like there's no weight to anything anymore and everything is is flat you know what the weird thing is though i would submit and this might sound ridiculous but this is you and me like beginning like we're having a conversation like this right now because the United States never had like a truth and reconciliation process that like the German people had after the Nazis or South Africa had in the wake of apartheid. So the conversation we're having right now, people might be listening to it and it might feel awkward and halting or whatever, but so fucking what, you know, I mean, at least we're hashing it out and being honest and with, with, uh, critically with a positive volition in our hearts. You know what I mean? So it's because <laughs> it's the American government's fault that we even have to be having this conversation. But, but, on, but on top of that, like the climate is so weird. Like, like here's what somebody can do, right? Someone could listen to this and out yeah. of everything that happened, they can cut it and then they'll say, uh, they'll cut it in a certain way and, and just ignore everything. And like, so I think yeah. Rob Delaney is saying that, you know, uh, he wants to say the N word in his car <laughs> and, then just, ah! and just find 10 seconds. Well, you know what they should 
make cut that- in with that. What they should <laughs> edit in is I had the amazing good fortune to be on a few episodes of Key and Peel, and there's one episode, there's one sketch they did where they came up with an app called the Knee Graph, and it figured out if you could say the N word. And the joke was like they have all these parameters and stuff, but it really came down to are you black or not? And um, I'm a, uh, they have me and I'm reading stuff that two black guys wrote. Um, but I hold up the phone and I'm like, I'd like to say it, but it says right here. I can't. And uh, I didn't so, remember that was you. I, I, I know that. I know that sketch. I, I forgot that was you. Um, so, but anyway, if people want to look, make me look bad, they could do the double hit of editing. Oh, this. oh so, so, so they could add that in there too. Yeah. Okay, they could put so. it together and then, then they could condemn me um, to, I don't know, whatever they want to do. <laughs> All right. So, so we're going to get you canceled. That's going to be the, the legacy of this, of this episode. <laughs> uh, and, and that's it, except for, I just forgot, I'm sorry. A listener had a question that they wanted, oh, they wanted okay. to ask you. So that's the, that's the last thing. They wanted to know, they said near, They said RIP Carrie Fisher, uh, mm-hmm. you know, big Carrie Fisher fan. But they also said at the end of her life, she kind of became one of those resistance liberals. Mm-hmm. So uh, did you guys ever discuss politics as far as I don't know socialism? that we really did uh, because... We were all the since uh, Sharon Horgan and I also executive produced the show. In addition to having written it, it's not to say that we didn't have incredible fun with Carrie Fisher, and she was a pleasure to be around. She absolutely was, but we were often, you know, had so little time to bang stuff out that we didn't get to go off on big uh, discourse stuff. I think people forget that this is a job. You know, I think people kind of see like she's playing your mother and mm. you guys are portraying like social life. And they, I think people think, you know, oh, they probably actually just keep talking like that when the cameras go off. And <laughs> it, yeah, it is I mean, I will say she was a pleasure to spend time with and and very kind. I would like to uh, highlight she she was very sensitive and sweet in a way that you might not immediately assume like a galactic superstar would be, but she was very warm and uh, just, it's just the fucking the best. Oh, that's a great place to end it. Thanks so much for your patience. Thank you hey, also thank for going you. a little bit over time. You know, I really oh no, this was that. a pleasure. I had a great time and thanks. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, and best of uh, luck with everything. I know you're working on a new pilot, right? I am, yeah. I uh, Is it too am, early to talk about? Uh, it is, I think, just because I have, you know, right now my partner and I that I wrote it with are kind of like have just started to like show it to people and be like, is this good? What should we do with it? Um, so I can't really talk about it, but <laughs> no, I, I, no. Li- I like it and I hope other people like it. So we'll see. Okay, great. Yeah. And um, you're always welcome to come back on. I'm like Thank to you. ask you one again in the future if uh, anything comes great. up. And yeah, enjoy, enjoy the rest of your evening. I know it's later over there. And yeah, enjoy your time with your family. All right. Thanks so much. All oh, right, take and, care. and congrats on the newest son as well. I didn't get to. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah he's uh, coming up on two now, believe it or not. So. Oh, my God. Time flies. Nuts, huh? Oh, uh, um, yeah. All right. All right. Thanks Have a lot, a good Trevor. One. All right. Take, take care. care. Bye bye. Take care, Rob. Bye.